This is the Bible in One Year, Day 313, Once for All. Once, on the 7th of January, 1978, I stood as the bridegroom at the front of Holy Trinity Brompton HTB Church in London. The bride, Pippa Hislop, walked down the aisle with her father and joined me at the front of the church. We made our vows to each other before God, and we were united in marriage. We left the church as Mr. and Mrs. Gumble. It was a once event, but has had huge implication for our lives. It stemmed from our love for each other, and we committed ourselves to love one another until the end of our lives. Almost four years before that, on the 16th of February, 1974, I had encountered Jesus Christ for the first time. A love relationship began, which has utterly transformed my life. It was another once event, but the implications and effect of that once event are ongoing and all-encompassing. I experienced God's love for me and committed myself to love Him forever. In today's New Testament passage, the writer of Hebrews speaks of the greatest once event of all time. It changed the course of history and has the potential to change all of our lives. Jesus has appeared once for all. Christ was sacrificed once. Jesus entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This once event stemmed from God's great love for us and has huge implications for your life and mine. Psalm 121 I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. God will guard and protect you. Where is the first place you look when you're in trouble or don't know what to do? Do you look to friends, family, or the medical profession? There's nothing wrong in looking for help in all these directions. But the first place the psalmist looks is upwards. Regret looks back. Fear looks around. Worry looks in. Faith looks up. The psalmist looks up. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Your help, strength and protection come from the maker of the universe. My strength comes from God who made heaven and earth and mountains. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. This beautiful psalm speaks of the Lord's love for you and his protection over your life. God's your guardian, right at your side to protect you. God guards you from every evil. He guards your very life. He guards you when you leave and when you return. He guards you now. He guards you always. I've sometimes used this psalm as a prayer for our family or friends who are facing difficulties in their lives. 
the promise of this psalm is that the Lord will protect you from all ultimate harm. The psalmist could not have known that this is made possible through the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus, which means that one day he will come to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Lord, thank you that you watch over me day and night. Thank you that you watch over my coming and going, both now and forevermore. New Testament, Hebrews 9. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it, because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves, together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. It was necessary, then, for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year, with blood that is not his own. Otherwise Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all, at the culmination of the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Jesus sacrificed himself for you. Do you realize how much God loves you? Do you know that Jesus shed his blood so that you could receive total forgiveness? Do you understand that he has already paid the price for every sin you have committed in the past and every sin you will ever commit in the future. Why was the death of Jesus necessary? The author points out that both in the case of a will and a covenant, the same Greek word is used for both, they do not come into effect without a death taking place. The death leads to an inheritance for others. The first covenant was not put into effect without blood. He goes on to describe in detail the blood of the old covenant and concludes that Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The writer then makes three statements contrasting the sacrifice of Jesus with the inferior sacrifices under the law. First, Jesus was dealing with the real thing. For Christ didn't enter the earthly version of the holy place. He entered the place itself and offered himself to God as the sacrifice for our sins. Second, Jesus' sacrifice was once for all. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the holy place every year. 
Rather, everyone has to die once, then face the consequences. Christ's death was also a one-time event, but it was a sacrifice that took care of sins forever. Third, Jesus shed his own blood. Jesus did not offer blood that is not his own. Unlike the high priest, it was his own blood that was shed. No further sacrifice is now required. These animal sacrifices aren't needed anymore, having served their purpose, as the Book of Common Prayer puts it. The once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus was a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice, ablation, and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. As Jesus cried out on the cross, It is finished. When Jesus comes again, it will not be to bear sin, but rather to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Thank you for his once-for-all sacrifice for me, so that I might receive total forgiveness. Help me to remember today that it is finished. Old Testament, Ezekiel 17 and 18 The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set forth an allegory, and tell it to the Israelites as a parable. Say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. A great eagle with powerful wings, long feathers, and full plumage of varied colors came to Lebanon. Taking hold of the top of a cedar, he broke off its topmost shoot and carried it away to a land of merchants where he planted it in a city of traders. He took one of the seedlings of the land and put it in fertile soil. He planted it like a willow by abundant water, and it sprouted and became a low, spreading vine. Its branches turned towards him, but its roots remained under it. So it became a vine and produced branches and put out leafy boughs. But there was another great eagle with powerful wings and full plumage. The vine now sent out its roots towards him from the plot where it was planted and stretched out its branches to him for water. It had been planted in good soil by abundant water so that it would produce branches, bear fruit, and become a splendid vine. Say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Will it thrive? Will it not be uprooted and stripped of its fruit, so that it withers? All its new growth will wither. It will not take a strong arm or many people to pull it up by the roots. It has been planted, but will it thrive? Will it not wither completely when the east wind strikes it, wither away in the plot where it grew? Then the word of the Lord came to me, Say to this rebellious people, Do you not know what these things mean? Say to them, The king of Babylon went to Jerusalem and carried off her king and her nobles, bringing them back with him to Babylon. Then he took a member of the royal family and made a treaty with him, putting him under oath. He also carried away the leading men of the land, so that the kingdom would be brought low, unable to rise again, surviving only by keeping his treaty. 
but the king rebelled against him by sending his envoys to Egypt to get horses and a large army. Will he succeed? Will he who does such things escape? Will he break the treaty and yet escape? As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, he shall die in Babylon, in the land of the king who put him on the throne, whose oath he despised and whose treaty he broke. Pharaoh, with his mighty army and great horde, will be of no help to him in war, when ramps are built and siege works erected to destroy many lives. He despised the oath by breaking the covenant. Because he had given his hand in pledge and yet did all these things, he shall not escape. Therefore this is what the Sovereign Lord says, As surely as I live, I will repay him for despising my oath and breaking my covenant. I will spread my net for him, and he will be caught in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon and execute judgment on him there, because he was unfaithful to me. All his choice troops will fall by the sword, and the survivors will be scattered to the winds. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar and plant it. I will break off a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain heights of Israel I will plant it, and it will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. All the trees of the forest will know that I, the Lord, bring down the tall tree and make the low tree grow tall. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. Ezekiel chapter 18 The word of the Lord came to me. What do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? The parents eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, you will no longer quote this proverb in Israel. For everyone belongs to me, the parent as well as the child, both alike belong to me. The one who sins is the one who will die. Suppose there is a righteous man who does what is just and right. He does not eat at the mountain shrines or look to the idols of Israel. He does not defile his neighbor's wife or have sexual relations with a woman during her period. He does not oppress anyone but returns what he took in pledge for a loan. He does not commit robbery but gives his food to the hungry and provides clothing for the naked. He does not lend to them at interest or take a profit from them. He withholds his hand from doing wrong and judges fairly between two parties. He follows my decrees and faithfully keeps my laws. That man is righteous. He will surely live, declares the Sovereign Lord. 
Suppose he has a violent son, who sheds blood or does any of these other things, though the father has done none of them. He eats at the mountain shrines, he defiles his neighbor's wife, he oppresses the poor and needy, he commits robbery, he does not return what he took in pledge, he looks to the idols, he does detestable things, he lends at interest and takes a profit. Will such a man live? He will not. Because he has done all these detestable things, he is to be put to death. His blood will be on his own head. But suppose this son has a son who sees all the sins his father commits, and though he sees them, he does not do such things. He does not eat at the mountain shrines or look to the idols of Israel. He does not defile his neighbor's wife. He does not oppress anyone or require a pledge for a loan. He does not commit robbery, but gives his food to the hungry and provides clothing for the naked. He withholds his hand from ill-treating the poor and takes no interest or profit from them. He keeps my laws and follows my decrees. He will not die for his father's sin. He will surely live. But his father will die for his own sin, because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother, and did what was wrong among his people. Yet you ask, why does the son not share the guilt of his father? Since the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to keep all my decrees, he will surely live. The one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. But if a wicked person turns away from all the sins they have committed and keeps all my decrees and does what is just and right, that person will surely live. They will not die. None of the offenses they have committed will be remembered against them. Because of the righteous things they have done, they will live. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? declares the Sovereign Lord. Rather am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live. But if a righteous person turns from their righteousness and commits sin and does the same detestable things the wicked person does, will they live? None of the righteous things that person has done will be remembered. Because of the unfaithfulness they are guilty of and because of the sins they have committed, they will die. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. Hear, you Israelites, is my way unjust? Is it not your ways that are unjust? If a righteous person turns from their righteousness and commits sin, they will die for it. Because of the sin they have committed, they will die. But if a wicked person turns away from the wickedness they have committed and does what is just and right, they will save their life. Because they consider all the offenses they have committed and turn away from them, 
that person will surely live. They will not die. Yet the Israelites say, The way of the Lord is not just. Are my ways unjust, people of Israel? Is it not your ways that are unjust? Therefore, you Israelites, I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent. Turn away from all your offenses. Then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, people of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live. Make a clean break. Although Jesus' death for us was a once event, God in his love was preparing his people for that event for hundreds of years. He was teaching them about the serious consequences of sin and pointing ahead to a Savior. God's word to his people was through an allegory and parable. The immediate context of the allegory was the great eagle of Babylon, taking Jehoiakim from Judah to Babylon in 597 BC. But its application is far wider. There are two types of shoots, two types of vines, and two types of kingdom. There is the kingdom of this world, human-made, apparently very strong, using all the best resources, appearing to flourish, but that will ultimately shrivel and die and be completely useless. On the other hand, there is the kingdom of God, which from a very small beginning, against all the odds, will flourish and bear permanent fruit. As we read this passage through the lens of Jesus, we see hints of his once-for-all sacrifice for sin. The shoot is the language that the prophet Isaiah uses in what is clearly a messianic passage foretelling the coming of Jesus. This is the one who was pierced for our transgressions, upon whom the Lord laid the iniquity of us all. He is the one who made the once-for-all sacrifice of himself for our sins. Ezekiel goes on to say, You die for your own sin, not another's. The soul who sins is the one who will die. Earlier Ezekiel spoke of corporate responsibility. Now he speaks of individual responsibility. We will all have to take responsibility for our own lives. You will not be judged by your parents or your children's sins, but for your own sins. God loves everyone. He does not want anyone to fall under his judgment. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? He concludes this passage. I'll judge each of you according to the way you live. So turn around. Turn your backs on your rebellious living so that your sin won't drag you down. Clean house. Get a new heart. Get a new spirit. The passage then finishes with a final reminder of how this is possible. Repent and live. This is the wonderful news. However far you have fallen, whatever mess you made with your life, you can make a clean break with the past. Simply repent. Turn from the bad ways and turn to Jesus. You receive total forgiveness, a new heart and a new spirit, and can enjoy the relationship with God made possible by his once for all sacrifice for your sins. Lord, thank you that I can repent and live. Thank you that you promised me a new heart and a new spirit. Help me to make a clean break and to enjoy the relationship with God that you have made possible 
by your once-for-all sacrifice for my sins. Pippa adds, Psalm 121 verse 7 says, The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. I have prayed these verses many times for myself, my family and my friends. They are such encouraging and comforting words.